This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wongal people and the Yagara Turrbal peoples. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Strap in. Buckle up. It's story time, folks. This is Australiana Rama. Warning, this episode contains some swear words. And there's excess charges for express shipping. (laughs) I'm sleepy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a good energy. I think that'll be great. Uh, As I was watching um, an episode of Four Corners as research for this a couple hours ago, Mm. it was like, talking about Australia Post and, like, posties and blah, 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 and then a postie was at my door and I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> They know. <laughs> oh, they absolutely know. Yeah. He was actually just dropping off a delivery as per usual. But, oh, um, yes. Mm. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very funny. Uh, how are you? Yeah, good. Good, good, good. Stoked to hear about. Australia Post. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you love a letter. I do. And your birthday's coming up, so you can expect something in the mail. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Who knows what it will oh, be? The best part of birthdays is surprise mail. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Let's do it. Go for it. I'm ready. <laughs> Shall I get my stamps? Or <laughs> Yeah. Get your stamps. Get your feather and quill. Wait, what? Okay, well, I've got a pen. That's that okay. <laughs> feather and quill. Oh, God. I need to go back to bed. Okay. Mm-hmm. 1788. Oh, no. <laughs> 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 the first fleet arrive in Botany Bay. Wow. Um, we're not going to get into that too much, but God, let's just no. say mm. it is an isolating and grim time. Mm. So for convicts, settlers and officials, letters were the only way to maintain any kind of contact with Britain mm-hmm. because technology. And so ships that arrived in Sydney were often just completely surrounded by people waiting for mail. And then Mm. that would sometimes escalate to theft and fraud and rioting and extortion. Sounds about right. Yeah. So, you know, super chill times. Yeah. When the second fleet arrived at Sydney Cove in 1790, (laughs) not 1970. Long time. A bit of of a delay. The Marine Mm. officer uh, Watkin Tench wrote, Letters, letters was the cry. They were produced and torn open in trembling agitation. News burst upon us like meridian splendor on a blind man. Wow. (laughs) Old mate Watkin popped up last week as well. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, He's got a a way with words. He really does. Yeah, he would probably appreciate a letter. Um, Mm. So needless to say, it was chaos. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the earliest 
recorded evidence of mail delivery within Australia itself appears to be an announcement that was published in the Sydney Gazette in 1803, um, authorising boatmen travelling between Sydney and Parramatta to charge for the delivery of letters exclusive of government service, each two pence. So that's when we okay. think people start to send Get mail more to organized. one another. Yeah, but by organised it was like, y'all can do that. Like some some dudes who have boats can do that. Like mm. there wasn't one person in charge of this system. Yeah, but I guess <laughs> before then it would have been like, oh, hey, mate, are you going this place this yeah. week? Could you give this to such and such? Yeah. Do you know them? Yeah. And <laughs> then the recipient of the letter was obliged to pay when it arrived because there was no prepayment <laughs> service. So you can imagine mm. it was a dodgy, inconsistent time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the National Museum of Australia writes, sending a letter overseas required a mixture of luck and resolve. The sender would need to wait for a departing ship and entrust the letter with the ship's captain. There were no guarantees that it would be delivered. No, because ships got shipwrecked as well like not everyone could you imagine even if you like you get to england and you've been on a boat and probably had scurvy three times and been you know covered in all sorts of lice and then you're like oh yes i must send this letter to this woman who i've never met in another part of london town somewhere like yeah it's just not going to be anyone's priority (laughs) it's amazing that anything got delivered yep yep Mm. I'm yeah, extremely surprised <laughs> that anyone received any letters in this time yeah. at all. <laughs> oh, dear. So as the population of the colony grew, so did the volume of incoming mail. And mm. by 1809, there were escalating complaints to the lieutenant governor of, yeah, the fraud and the theft and just the, like, hot mess of it all. Mm. And the Sydney Gazette wrote in 1809, Complaints having been made to the Lieutenant Governor that numerous frauds have been committed by individuals repairing on board ships on their arrival at this port and personating others. So essentially like people are just pretending to be other people to mm-hmm. get mail and things. It's like just for something fun to do. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> such a grim time. Oh, and the New South Wales Court recognised that. Um, this was indeed a huge problem and decided to fix it by appointing an official post master. Mm-hmm. Good luck to that person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Isaac Nichols was born in 1770 in Wiltshire, England, and 21 years later he was found guilty of stealing and sentenced to seven years transportation. Mm-hmm. He arrives in Sydney Harbour in 1791 where he would serve his sentence. He was famously sober, which apparently was a big deal for the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which, like, also doesn't surprise me. Uh, this among his, quote, honesty and diligence impressed the governor at the time. So while Nichols was still, you know, serving his sentence, he was appointed as the chief overseer of convict gangs in sydney okay 
I don't quite know what that means and I don't want to know. No, nah, I don't care. <laughs> in 1797. <1790, laughs> about the mail. Yeah, exactly. In 1797, Nichols completes his sentence and is rewarded with 50 acres of land. <sighs> yeah. 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 Great. <laughs> Uh, according to the National Museum of Australia, within 10 years, he increased his land holdings to 1,400 acres, My o- God. opens an inn on George Street, establishes a shipyard, and builds the governor a 33-ton trading schooner. What's it? A schooner? Is that a, a boat? boat? Not, a, not a beer. Yeah, a 33-ton <laughs> beer. <laughs> yeah. All right, it's a boat. Big boat, yeah. Mm-hmm. And by 1806, he's one of the wealthiest businessmen in the colony. So he's gone from being a 21-year-old wow. convict to being a big dick player. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And then so on the 25th of April, 1809, the government appoints him as the position of postmaster. Okay. Mm-hmm. He sets up his post office in his home for people to collect letters and parcels. Of course he does. He implements a fixed price scheme because people were just making up prices previously because mm. they were doing what they yep. want. And he was also authorised to board ships um, to, like, receive and give parcels and letters. So he would go onto the ship and collect all the things and then distribute okay. it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he would then publish a list of those who had received mail in the Sydney Gazette. So oh, and then they know. have to go get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mail to those influential in the colony would be hand-delivered by Nichols himself. Well, there you go. Yeah. Around 1812, he creates a postmark that reads Sydney, New South Wales, and this is considered kind of the first stamp in Australia. Mm. There's no date okay. on it, but it's kind of the thing that mm. happened before a stamp. The post office was run as a private business until 1825, um, obviously like by his, you know, the people who came after him as well, mm. when the New South Wales Legislative Council passed the first Postal Act. Okay. This, this transferred postal services to the governor who determined a postmaster's wage and set the prices for mail collection. So the government are mm-hmm. running it now. Now involved. Mm-hmm. Okay. It also authorised the governor to appoint postmasters outside of Sydney. Hmm. Yeah. So then they get one in Van Diemen's Land, quote-unquote Tasmania, in Hobart in 1812, and the mail is delivered between there and Sydney on um, whaling and sealing ships. Oh, that's so grim. Yeah. So, like, you know, get a letter, get some blubber. Yeah, here could be is, covered in blood. I don't know. Here is a letter <laughs> that has seen something really sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then postmasters were appointed in the Swan River Colony in Western Australia in 1829, Victoria in 1836, South Australia in 1837, and Moreton Bay, which is Queensland, in 1842. So then, by 1849, the Australian colonies kind of band together to establish uniform postage rates and to try and achieve just some kind of regularity <laughs> across the borders because they have their own thing going on still. Oh. Yeah, because this isn't a country at this stage. This is just separate colonies. Mm. And then between 1860 and 1900, a bunch of intercolonial conferences are held to find a solution to mm. both the postal and the communication services more broadly. And this actually became one of the key forces behind working towards federation. 
Okay. The fact that no one could get mail delivered. Yeah. No one could talk to one another. <laughs> it's like, this is getting ridiculous. This is a bit fucked. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so this culminates in 1900 when the heads of each postal department have one final meeting to meet and finalise this under the upcoming Commonwealth. Okay. So Australia becomes a nation on the 1st of January 1901 when the six separate British colonies come together to form the Commonwealth of Australia. And so from 1901, all postal services and telecommunications were operated by the Postmaster General Department or the PMG. Okay. So... (laughs) (laughs) The approximately 5,000 existing post offices were placed under the control of the new department. That (laughs) blew my mind. I was like, what do you mean there are 5,000 already just like doing their own thing? And then one department has to be like, well, shit. (laughs) My God. Well, I guess, no, I guess it's just like every little small scale but some of them would have been larger. Yeah. Some of them would just have been one guy. Yeah. Like that's, he's not the post only office. is colonialism deeply problematic and mm. entrenched in all sorts of bloodshed and horrible things, but it's also just like a logistical nightmare. Like what are they doing? <laughs> like, oh, God. That sound, it sounds terrible. Like yeah. it's more admin than I want to know about. Yeah. Everything's run by criminals. Like mm. it's cooked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so over the next 20 years, the new postal and telegraph offices uh, become significant additions to all of the city and country centres that are popping up and are often in many places the first kind of physical manifestation of the new Commonwealth government. Okay. Yeah, which is pretty significant. Like, you know, you can go to lots of towns and go, oh, that's a really old building. Oh, it was the old post office. Like, yeah. Mm. An airmail service was introduced in 1914 and in 1967 four-digit postcodes in Australia were introduced. Mm. Also in 1967, Australia implements the world's first mechanical processing centre, which received international press. Okay. Yeah. So Rather the, than just people people with their hands doing it. Yeah, machines. So we've gone from convicts <clears throat> to people to machines. Not that convicts weren't people, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, dear. Oh, God. Mm. Imagine if I get cancelled for calling convicts not people. <laughs> <laughs> Some right-wing group is like, oh, I have colonial man, man, man. convict blood in me and I'm deeply oh. offended. Uh, oh, well, right. well, they can bite me. Um, yeah. But airmail in mm. 1914, like that's yeah. early flight, another thing that is just yes. cooked. The yes. most cooked. Dangerous. But when you think about how big this bloody country is, you go, mm. yeah, of course, we probably did have to have a head start on that, actually, yeah. which is why, you so know, Qantas is a thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes, we, sh- we will do an episode on that one day because oh, yeah, Australia and – Air travel, Air travel is actually a huge thing. Yeah, Royal Flying Doctor Service. Anyway, mm. wild. So between 1974 and 1975, the PMG splits into two organisations. So the Telecommunication Service became Telecom, which is now Telstra, and the Postal uh-huh. Service became the Australian Postal Corporation, which is now Australia Post. There you go. And now we are here. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the Modern Australia Post. So this is just from the Australia Post website and this is how Mm -hmm. they define who they are. So Australia Post is a government business enterprise which operates under the Australian Postal Corporation Act. The Board of Australia Post, which sets the corporation's objectives, policies and strategies, is led by a non-executive chairman and one executive director, the managing director. I know that sounds really boring. It becomes so boring. <laughs> really important. The takeaway is that they are actually run like a business. They are okay. not a government-funded agency. They are mm. run like a business. But their sole shareholder is the Australian government. Okay. So it's a public asset run like a private business, mm. which gets very confusing politically. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the Australia Post says um, the managing director, so this is the the executive business leader, not the government, Mm. is responsible for day-to-day management of the corporation, including the management of letters, retail and agency services, parcels and logistics, finance, corporate infrastructure services, and business support. It's a lot of jobs. It is. It's really, really big. Um, And they also talk about how, you know, Australia Post is a completely self-funded business with both commercial and community service obligations. So they're required to make the best use of their assets mm. for the community, but they have to run as a profitable business. Okay. So they can't be running a deficit because they're not they're not Centrelink, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's why stamps are a dollar ten, not a dollar now. That's what I'm gonna take away from it. Actually, yes. <laughs> like <laughs> okay. actually yes. Um, and therein lies the political minefields that we are about to enter. So the Australia Post annually contributes $3 billion to the national GDP and has a workforce of more than 75,000 people. But this includes employees as well as contractors, licensees and subcontractors. Mm. Australia Post owns approximately 520 places and leases an additional 700 ranging from post offices to mail processing sites, warehouses, offices, call centres. And 73 of these are Commonwealth Heritage listed. The head office is in Burke Street in Melbourne. Mm, so nice post offices around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a difference between what they own and what they actually don't own, which we'll break down mm. later. So in March 2008, uh, amendments to the Australian Postal Corporation Act allowed quarantine inspection officers of a state or territory to request Australia Post to open packets and parcels, Mm -hmm. as well as authorising Australia Post to remove mail that they believe is scam. So the government is kind of intervening a little bit here. And then in February 2010, Ahmed Fahour was appointed as the managing director and CEO, which is the executive position in the company of Australia Post. Mm-hmm. In May 2010, he announced this new future-ready strategy designed to reinvigorate Australia Post. This included a new organisational structure and increased implementation of digital technologies. Okay. So Fahour was paid millions and millions of dollars a year he had a huge wage Mm. he gave massive bonuses 
he had little regard for maintaining how things were done in the past. He was all about coming in and shaking things up and really, really running it like a business. Mm. Senior management salaries spiked while lower staff salaries did not. He brought Classic. in a lot of yeah, he brought in a lot of people from the banking sector to work in the organization. And he was definitely less logistics focused and more business focused. So under the pressure of letters becoming less relevant, the parcel business, however, was expected to grow. Mm. And so in 2012, he bought the failing parcel delivery service, Star Trek. Ah. Yeah. So that was a separate thing. And Australia Post actually bought that because they can, because they're, mm. they run like a business. And as of that, Australia Post owns 80% of the parcel market in Australia. Yeah. I often wonder because like Star Trek is like sometimes when you buy things online, Star yep. Trek is like much more effective. Yeah. Yeah. And you pay more money for it, but it is, it is currently owned by Australia Post. Mm. But yeah. It was struggling prior to that. Um, and it's it basically he made Star Trek its own division and this started rumours that Australia Post was setting itself up to sell and become a fully private organisation mm. with no government affiliation whatsoever. Interesting. Yes. So Anna Dawson, who was the advisor for well, one of the advisors for the Rudd Gillard government, says that Post the global financial crisis, there was a very, very brief discussion about the potential of us selling Australia Post within some of the advisors, but the conversation never escalated to the ministers or the treasurer. So the government itself didn't have that conversation as much. And mm. it was merely a kind of what if brainstorm that never stuck because Labor are generally pro keeping it Um like not mm. yeah, the sole trader being the government. Yeah. But then in 2013, when the Abbott became prime minister, he puts this agenda out there basically, and he's he suggests that in order to lift the debt post the global financial crisis, they could sell Australia Post. And so, lot, this is kind of internal conversations, and lots of rumors and speculations start to mm. happen, and journalists start to question them about this, and. A, Journalist on ABC Radio asks Matthias Coleman, who was the finest minister at the time, about it. Mm. And he goes, you know, can you rule out the sale of Australia Post? And Matthias Coleman goes, oh, I'm not going to speculate, you know, like we don't know. He's just very, very flaky about it. Yeah. Yeah, So by comparison, Telstra has become privatised during this time. Mm. So between 1997 and 2011, the federal government under Howard begins selling off Telstra. So they have kind of three different phases of selling it off. Like it starts off Mm. as just a little bit so that like we cover some of the costs and then they sell off another little bit and then they sell off more. And then by the time the Gillard government is in, there's not that much left Mm. and they sell the remaining profitable shares. Um, So Telstra is like essentially a private organization now and with one more than one million shareholders it's actually the most widely held ASX listing company in Australia so it's gone from being a government thing to mm. being one of the biggest companies here yeah and so well they were... still have a monopoly in rural areas like they because they're only the, there's so many places where only Telstra has reception yeah but that was because they were a government mm you know, in the same way that Australia Post services rural areas, Telstra had to because they were mm. 
a government organization and and now that you know so they've been able to kind of capitalize on that previous obligation and interesting yeah yeah yeah. so that's why that's a thing and that's why you know they did they did the um nbn rollout and stuff like that as well so yeah um so that's also why people are like you know is the same thing going to happen to australia post that happened to telstra Mm. we don't believe you (laughs) (laughs) yeah so after telstra is sold australia post becomes one of the last remaining publicly owned national institutions Mm. yeah it sounds crazy to sell australia post that sounds crazy yeah the public perception is is certainly skewed towards that absolutely Mm. there are arguments on both sides I know where I land on the side of the argument Mm. um but we might get to that at the end okay when you there's oh just (laughs) it just gets really cooked oh Oh, goodness yeah so in 2014 uh there was a national commission of audit that recommended Australia Post was privatized in kind of an interim way post-GFC. And when questioned, Treasurer Joe Hockey refused to rule it out. He was like, governments around the world have run out of money. The private sector is loaded up with cash. Like that was their whole argument. Mm. And then during drafting of the 2014 budget, the government engaged the Boston Consulting Group to assess Australia Post. So they pay them like a million dollars to do that. Mm. And this group warns of a $6 billion loss over the next 10 years and that the only way to avoid that is reducing costs and size um it's understood by the abc and some other journalists that the liberal party were going to move on this but the nationals refused to join them Mm. because the nationals are also against privatization of Australia Post. That's actually something that they align with Labor on because mm. they're representing remote and rural, rural company, yeah. yeah, people and companies, and yeah, they just like no, like we this is an obligation that we have, and we have to follow mm. through with it. So yeah. it doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> but then a year later, in June 2015, Australia Post announces that it would it would reduce its workforce by 1,900 people over three years. Mm. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. We don't know what was said and done, but that happens. Mm. And then in September 2015, a couple months later, Australia Post announces its first loss in 30 years and they make okay. a $222 million loss. Wow. And how much are they paying the executives? A lot. That much money? <laughs> a lot. Um, $5.6 million is the CEO's salary, and that doesn't include bonuses. That is too much money. Yeah. And the year before, they made a $116 million profit. So it's literally like a $300 million difference. Mm. Yeah. And parcel delivery accounts for over half of total revenue in this time. So it's very Mm. clear that things are getting spooky. And so then Malcolm Turnbull is Prime Minister, lol, um, (laughs) (laughs) and in May 2016 about six months later uh, he gets asked about this on Sky News and he says we have no prospects of making Australia Post privatized but what happens in the future who knows interesting Mm -hmm. and the ABC understands that at some time 
in this period, the Australia Post did actually try to sell their B2B branch, which is their business to business parcel delivery, and mm-hmm. no one wanted it. Yeah, that was my other question. It's like, yeah, okay, you're going to sell Australia Post. Who's going to buy Australia Post? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one wanted it. They couldn't do it. Mm. Um, and that was only kind of found out after the fact. Interesting. <sighs> yeah. And so then by August 2016, Australia Post returns a profit the following mm-hmm. year and basically because they just lean hard into parcel delivery. Mm. But they also cut jobs. So the way that yeah. they phrase it is like, oh, strong parcel and career performance and organisation restructuring, but they've cut jobs in this time. Mm. Yeah. Because male performance has reached an all-time low. So that's the only way they could have done it Mm. um, with those salaries. But then this is where the drama truly begins. In February 2017, Malcolm Turnbull publicly criticizes CEO Ahmed Fahour's $5.6 million annual salary, which is 10 times more than his at the time Mm. as the Prime Minister saying, as the Prime Minister and a taxpayer, I've spoken to the Chairman today. I think that salary, that remuneration is too high. Several days later, Fahua announces that he is resigning, Mm. but he also tells the media that the decision was not related to the discussion of his salary. He says, I know some of you think that the recent discussions about my pay have precipitated this, but that is not true. Okay. Well, I mean, he, he could have retired at any time. Mm. earning too much money his final paycheck with all of his bonuses was 10.8 million dollars that's disgusting how cooked is that how is that even possible in one year 10.8 million dollars like that's i don't understand like how it also I'm saying implies very, very strongly because I don't want to get sued for defamation. Mm. It also implies that there could have maybe potentially been some kind of payout negotiation as well. Yeah, because that's a lot. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, got to love services that look after the community. Um. So Fahua is replaced by Christine Holgate, whose name you may or may not have heard of in the news mm, a lot I have. recently. It sounds like Colgate, but also other things I've heard in the news. Butthole. <laughs> you said butthole. <laughs> oh, I'm so looking forward to winning journalism awards for this. Um she is the previous CEO of Blackmore, so she has like executive business, okay. you know, very impressive CV. She's the first woman to run the business as well, and she has much more, more of a like a serious kind of appearance. Like mm. um, Fahul was a bit of he was a bit of like a charming kind of you know personality, and she's like, this is my job. I'm taking it very seriously, and when I talk publicly. She's very, very neutral and serious. Mm. Just for everyone listening, um, when Maddie was being old mate mm-hmm. for Hua, mm-hmm. there was a lot of like arm flailing but like shoulder rolling and then yeah. when she turned into Christine, there were like karate hands. Yes. Very direct. I stand by 
<laughs> I stand by my actions. <laughs> yes, I just thought it added something. Um, mm. You're so welcome. Continue. Thank you. Thank you for the description. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, she also publicly states that she is taking a pay cut. Like she is like, it was too high. I'm, I'm mm. taking a pay cut. She reverses Ahmed's decision about um, elevators not being able to visit the upper floors. And so there were certain elevators in the office building that the general public couldn't take. Not the general public, sorry, the general staff couldn't take to the upper executive floors. What? Yeah, like he made it a restricted area. That's weird. Yeah, because people are pretentious. Um, mm. And she was also known to be seen on lower floors chatting to general staff and mm. like, engaging with her staff. Okay. And her, she states that her belief was to grow revenue rather than cut costs as much mm. as possible. So rather than, you know, killing staff, finding business strategies to make more money and long-term sustainable solutions. Do you know what, do you know what her pay cut was? like? No, I don't. No, it would still be a huge wage. Would still yeah. Be, yeah. Oh, totally. Like she's mm. come from Blackmore's, you know, yeah. pharmaceutical. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> she had a strong focus on assisting LPOs. So to explain, um, 3,000 out of 4,500 post offices in Australia are actually LPOs, which are licensed post offices. So they are privately run franchises. Okay. And just so, there, so there's like 4,000 post offices is what Four you said. Four and a half. Down and from 5,000 in the like, I know. In 1900. What the fuck? And 3,000 <laughs> of those are a franchise. Like Okay. Yeah. So the people who run these are not public servants. They are not paid by the government. They are running a franchise and they need mm. Australia Post to be run well so that they can pay themselves a wage. Mm. Yeah. And these are okay. more common in regional remote areas as yeah. well. Yeah. So her big thing was about supporting those and lifting those up to be able to make larger profits and to look after those, um, yeah, those businesses that are running essentially. Mm. So... Um, she lifts some of the costs on stamps for LPOs and implements a new parcel scheme that replaces a very outdated kind of flat fee model. So they mm. try and represent, you know, if you're regional remote, like you're not paying the same kind of exorbitant flat fee mm. delivery things that just kind of make things really, really expensive. So, yeah, so she's kind of yeah. restructuring how all of those work. Um Prior to this, these changes had not been made for 11 years under the previous CEO. So like That's costs, long time. yeah, so like costs for running the LPOs were going up, but mm. the revenue and income for the people running them were decreasing, like it was mm. bad. Yeah, so in 2019, um, parcel deliveries continued to increase while letter deliveries continue to fall, no surprises here. Mm. And due to this... Um, Australia Post transfers several thousand workers from letter delivery to parcel delivery over a period of time. Mm. In 2019, Communications Minister Paul Fletcher pays Boston Consulting Group again $1.3 million for another assessment again. 
And the report says that in order to be sustainable, Australia Post needs to close 213 Metro Post offices, reduce delivery days from five days a week to two days a week. Wow. And they need to end priority mail. They haven't done those things. Nope. And also on top of that, they need to sell Star Trek, the parcel Mm. delivery service. So essentially they're going, if you want to keep running as a government thing, Mm. you can only deliver mail two days a week. (laughs) Could you imagine? (laughs) Crazy. And no priority mail. Mm. That's like, why bother? Mm -hmm. Descend into chaos. Yeah. It's like, cool, we're going back to... Like I might as well just get on a boat and <laughs> deliver yeah. it myself times. Like I'll just get on my horse and go and deliver it myself. Mm. It'll be faster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, of course, uh, the unions are concerned about all of this because they're like there's no way that this restructure will not result in thousands of jobs being lost. Mm. The Liberal Party defend themselves and say it's just a report. It's not our actual plan. And Labor says that they've been caught making plans to sell because they're like, you wouldn't keep paying Boston Consulting Group millions of dollars to yeah. do this when you're saying you don't have any money to spend <laughs> mm. if you're not planning on using the work that they do for you that mm. cost you millions of dollars oh, after God. the GFC. <laughs> yeah. Dummies. Re- yeah. Anyway, so these recommendations are not implemented by Christine mm. Holgate. She's like, no. (laughs) But she says that the government said formally in a letter to take the recommendations seriously. Wow. Mm. Yep. So Mm. despite the reduction in letter mail over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, the Mm. public image of Australia Post is very, very high. Like surveys and polls indicate this over and over again. And this Mm. is going back to what you were saying, like I cannot just, I can't see a world where Australia Post is a private organisation because we have a very, very strong connection to it as an identity. Yeah, well, because it's like the people on foot in their high-vis or the little posty bikes, although I guess there's less of that and there's more postman pat vans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And this, this is particularly true in regional areas as well. It's often the only service left. Like most, you know, so many towns have lost banks and doctors and all sorts of, but there will be a post office and it's often attached, Mm. you know, it's, it's a LPO that is attached to a pub or a general store. Mm. Someone actually lives there. there Yeah. So that is a big part of this story as well as the banking. Um, And that's something that Christine Holgate really elevated big time. Mm. Um, but these postal hubs in these small communities are a way for people to keep tabs on the community. Like you hear anecdotes of, you know, so-and-so didn't come to pick up their mail last week. Mm. And so we went out and checked that he was okay. And just that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. So the idea of it being private, I think gives a lot of people anxiety, Mm. you know, and we saw what happened in the U S recently with Trump in the election around, you know, closing down and and limiting and regulating the Postal Service and what that did to an election, you know, like imagine Mm. if that was in the hands of a private, imagine trying to do the census or postal voting in the hands of a private organisation. You can't do it. Yeah, you just open up the doors for corruption essentially. Mm. Um. 
not that the government (laughs) doesn't dip in their toe in those things from time to time, but the level of public scrutiny Mm. is, yeah, anyway. Um, As you mentioned, Holgate and her team implemented the Bank at Post scheme. So this Mm. was a really big deal. So they signed a deal with three of the four big banks where, yeah, you can go to the post office and do your banking, which is really, really great, especially in those areas. Um, and it just makes the LPOs just more relevant and more profitable. Mm. It gives it, it means that they're getting more revenue. Mm. Yes. But then March 2020 hits. Oh, dear. Um, I know. <laughs> and we all know what happened. Mm. Uh, <laughs> some of us are still living it right now. But, yes, COVID comes and parcel delivery explodes beyond yeah, yeet, yeet. belief. Did you say yeet yeet? I did. <laughs> I often do. <laughs> yeet yeet indeed. I think that's mm. what Christine Holgate said herself actually. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. And uh, so when this happens, Australia Post puts forward an alternative delivery model. I'm doing lots of air quotes here. Yeah. Where they halve the letter delivery service in metro areas to expand parcel delivery. Mm. Which is part of the suggestion that the Boston group made. Mm. But it worked a bit. It was like, so you know, you'd get letters two days a week, one week, three days a week, the other, like it's alternated. Yeah. So Christine Mm. Holgate herself said, she's like, I didn't support this model until COVID happened because when COVID Mm. happened, they were stretched thin. I remember getting parcels a couple of times and like people in rental vans were rocking up delivering my parcels because Mm. I think they must have just not had enough people in the fleet and were like, we're just going to rent cars and get people their things. Well, they did. Because there were massive delays on like parcels. Yeah, it was hectic. And mm. so they they claim that this was like a temporary situation. The unions are a bit stressed out because they're like, will it actually remain temporary? We don't mm. we don't completely buy that. And the other thing that happens in order to make this happen, because they have to pass this in parliament, they can't just do mm. it. So <laughs> Pauline Hansen, (laughs) she has the power in this scenario Mm. because the Liberal Party are like, yeah, go for it. It's like a watered down version of what we asked you to do. And Labor are like, we're concerned because the unions are concerned, so we're not going to vote for it. And Mm. I think the Greens and the Nats, I don't know where they're falling, but anyway, but essentially it ends up that Pauline Hansen in the Senate has like the one deciding vote. Oh. God. It should never come to that. It and should yet, never come to that, and yet all the time mm. it's like the loose independents and minor parties that are like, hello. Mm. <laughs> Chaos. Oh, God. Yeah. And the, the same thing happened with Telstra, the guy who had the single vote on oh, Telstra being sold was hectic and ended up negotiating a ban on abortion drugs. Anyway, Mm. so this happens all the time. So Pauline Hanson meets with Christine um, and essentially like people don't feel great about it and Holgate's asked if her relationship with Pauline Hanson was stronger than some of the other senators in order to kind of get this vote 
past and they ask if that's appropriate and she denies this she's like mm. I have a relationship with lots of politicians because of my job yes I mm. did meet with Pauline Hanson yes she did pass this thing but it's not outside of the other work that I do mm. so take from that what you will I don't know anyway mm. but with her vote Pauline Hansen, <laughs> the temporary implementation of the alternative delivery model passes. Mm. Um, like I said, the unions are a bit spooked. And they also claim that the COVID story is kind of a smoke screen that they've implemented because the recommendations were already, you know, publicly mm. being told. But anyway, by late October 2020, Australia Post have their annual Senate hearing, so they have to do this every year to report to the Senate so that the government can keep them accountable. Um, And in the Senate, they question Christine about the deal she made with the regional banks. Hmm. Christine Holgate on Four Corners later says, it's very difficult for me to talk about that day because it turned out to be a very bad day. So Labor Senator Kimberly Kitchen um, has clearly been tipped off about mm. some rewards that were given to the team that delivered the Bank at Post scheme, mm. where Holgate gave them four watches, Cartier, mm-hmm. Cartier watches, um, and they were initially reported at $3,000 each, but they were actually more than that. It was about $20,000 mm. worth of Cartier watches. And the senator asks, you know, did you reward the team? for doing this thing and she goes yes I did and then she goes did you consider it appropriate to use taxpayer money to do this and Christine Holgate goes I have not used taxpayer money Australia Post is a commercial and she's cut off and she's like Mm. asked again and she says we don't get government funding we are self-funded and then the senator goes but you are a government organization so this whole thing blows up um, on the same day in the lower house at parliament because this is supposedly the first time the government finds out about these watches and mm. basically Albo calls it out in parliament and he links it to COVID and he's like, you know, is it appropriate in a time where we are on the verge of recession and lots of people have lost jobs for the CEO of Australia Post to be giving out watches And then Morrison very, very quickly responds and just sniffs the potential controversy and like shuts it down. So Scott Morrison says, we are the sole shareholders of Australia Post, Mr. Speaker. And if the chief executive wishes to stand aside, well, not wishes to stand aside, she's been instructed to stand aside. And if she doesn't wish to do that, Mr. Speaker, she can go. Wow. Yeah, which is pretty full on. And Christine commenting on this later on Four Corners says, I think I was thrown under the bus and the bus reversed back over me, arguing Mm. that the public statement from the Prime Minister swayed the public perception of what happened. Because essentially there's a bit of a he said, she said situation where the chair of Australia Post says that she agreed to step down she vehemently denies this and no one else at Australia Post has publicly backed this up. It is known, however, that the government pressured the chair to make that decision because mm. the Minister for Communications called him and told him that they would like Christine to stand aside. So he basically gives direct orders, mm. which is not how that position is meant to work. 
And there was also no investigation. It was just like this instant thing that happened. Yeah, and like old mate got a $10 million final salary when he left the job. Yeah, and had a history of rewards and bonuses all of the Mm. time. Um, So Australia Post... Yeah, it it's always had this, well, not always, but in, you know, the recent kind of 50 years has had this battle between operating as a business and making a profit because they have to mm. versus doing the right thing for the public and obliging to the government responsibilities. So $90 million in bonuses were approved in 2020. And yet these four watches are the thing mm. that became the problem. And that's, that is a that is only a fraction of ninety yeah. million. When asked about the appropriateness of six figure salaries and six figure bonuses on Four Corners, Holgate defends herself, saying that compared to other similarly sized corporations and private organisations, it's like it's business as usual, hmm. um, and also that Ahmed Fahour started this trend, and that the exec salary that she is on has been decreased since him. Mm. She also says that she's been treated differently because she's a woman and that she believes this is an instance of workplace bullying because she never agreed to stand aside, that she was unlawfully stood down um, and that the business structure of Australia Post means that the government should not have had a direct input into her firing. Mm. And, yeah, so it's a it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a tricky one because, yes, like, I do not agree with people just getting bonuses willy-nilly, but it's kind of like, oh, you've had this cultural problem for years and years and years and then this one kind of moment Mm. where Scott Morrison has lost his cool in Parliament yeah, has then had this, like, boom kind of knock-on effect immediately with someone without Mm. any kind of investigation or trial. Yeah, which then doesn't fix the cultural problem. It no. just removes one removes one lady. Yes. And then because of all of this, a Senate inquiry begins several months later in February 2021 because the Senate agrees that this is all a hot mm. mess and very grey and are concerned. And mm. Christine comes in prepared. She wears <laughs> suffragette white, as do her supporters, because she's mm-hmm. like, yep, and she, she did this on purpose and publicly talks about it. Uh, Labor Senator Kim Carr says to her, I put to you perhaps the real reason for your treatment, the substantially political reason, is because you opposed the cutting and privatisation. And her response was, I think it would be fair to say, Senator, I wasn't popular. Ooh. Mm. She said that she supports an investigation into her work because they would find she did nothing wrong but she doesn't Mm. support an unfair dismissal. And then the findings from the Senate inquiry, which came out in May 2021, so a couple months ago, and it is important to note that the Senate is a Labor Greens majority, Mm. you know, yeah. Um, They say that Ms Holgate was denied procedural fairness and natural justice by the government and Australia Post. They say that she has to have a formal apology Mm. and they also ask the chair to stand down. They question the legality of the government intrusion um, and instruction of the standing down of Holgate. Well, oh well, well. Yeah. 
And so <laughs> currently, as we're recording this on the 16th of July in 2021, Rodney Boys is acting CEO. Rodney Boys. Rodney That's Boys. a funny name. Yeah. And Holgate will officially be replaced by Paul Graham, who is Woolworth's chief supply chain officer um, and used to work with DHL. Okay. Yes. So, yeah, the opinions on this are really split, like the, the you know, like on her role, um, the private versus public, you know, some watches versus millions of dollars in bonuses, mm. government intervention versus private organisation. Like it's, ugh, it's so tricky. Mm. <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, the Senate have said this shouldn't have happened in the way that it did. Mm. Well, it's all um, a bit icky. Yes. Like... I love sending mail, you know, just get it right, sort it out. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, my God, maybe if the execs just weren't paid as much, there would be some more money. But also, like, there was mm. this person, and I don't agree with everything Christine Holgett says and does, but, like, some of the things she was doing was good in regional remote areas. And there are people on the record saying, like, yeah, like, <laughs> Well, Australia We're Post really is shocked doing, she was fired. <laughs> like, Australia Post is doing better. Like, Yeah, partially because of COVID, but still, you know, anyway. The government hmm. currently insists that there are no plans to privatise. But uh, we'll mm. see. Mm. There is an election coming up, so who bloody knows? Yeah, I would just, it doesn't, it's not a good look to sell off, you know, like institutions that people think quite fondly of, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, you would have to put forward a very, very convincing argument to the public. Mm. And I don't know if there is one other than, no. you know, the cost to the nation in other areas. Like, because the thing is, like, Australia Post isn't so much as costing the government all of this money because it is actually its own self-sustained business. Mm. It's more that the government could plug some holes mm. in their deficit elsewhere by selling off this thing. And that's where I feel uncomfortable about it. Mm. It's like a postal service is a thing that everyone in an OESE like nation should just have. Like. Yeah, like the government <laughs> has an obligation. Yes. Yeah. And they're already they're already self funded. <laughs> mm, yeah, like it's, like, so it's, it's just not, fine. It's fine. Yeah. So I yeah. think the government sometimes tries to spin it as like, oh, it's creating all this debt for us. It's like, no, it's not. It's really you're not, trying to you know? fix your debt from elsewhere by selling this thing. And that is a temporary mm. solution. Mm. Like it'll plug a hole once. Mm. And then from there on in, that's it. Yeah. And then you don't have any control over Australia Post yeah. anymore. And then we'll be back to the days of bloody scurvy boats and yeah. <laughs> men on horses. That's oh. literally what it will be. God. Oh, goodness me. Anyway, sorry. I got a bit mm. personal in the end there. But uh, look, if That's you've been right. listening for this long, everyone, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> it's not that surprising. Mm. Ah, that was interesting. Yeah. Well, mm. cool. <laughs> yeah, 10 out of 10 postage stamps. 
So no, that that's for your writing. For my of, own, for my own of episode. the concept of male, like how, how you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, of the concept of male, mm. yes, 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. My sources are the Australia Post Heritage Strategy, the Australia Post website, the National Museum of Australia, Four Corners ABC, Wikipedia, the Parliamentary Education Office, and ABC News. As always, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Australianorama or chuck us an email to australianorama at gmail.com and join us next week where I'm going to tell Maddie about Slip, Slop, Slap and the Cancer Council. You.